Welcome to Coaching for a Living, a podcast for coaches who want to build financially viable coaching businesses and make a living doing what they love. I'm your host, Alisa Barkin, and I am thrilled to have you here. Are you ready to take the next step in your coaching business? Let's go. Hello, hello. Onion rings. Welcome back to the show, friends. And for those of you who are new, welcome. I am so thrilled to have you here. In this episode of Coaching for a Living, we are joined by Lisa DeAngelis, the founder of Dragonfly Coaching, who will share with us what it's like to run a coaching business and a job at the same time. Lisa helps professionals clarify what success means to them and create the conditions to achieve it. She has published several peer-reviewed articles on leadership, teamwork, and transformation, and is the director for the Center of Collaborative Leadership at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. The center has established a new paradigm for how organizations and individuals become successful, and that is through collaborative leadership, a process built on teamwork, trust, and respect for diversity of thought. More than 20 years of divisional and corporate leadership experience with companies of all sizes and in diverse industries provides Lisa with a strong platform for her work. Lisa, welcome to the show. I am so delighted to be here. Thank you for asking me. And thank you for accepting. I'm so interested and I, I think everyone listening to this is um, in hearing more about how you balance everything. But uh, before we move into that, I want you to share with me and the audience your story of becoming a coach. How did you get into coaching? Uh, so I, I think I was bred for coaching, actually. I think that when you look back at my history, whether I've had the formal title or um, I've just been there for the people around me. I have always been someone who has seen the potential in the person in front of me and, and wanted to help them become more comfortable stepping into it. Um, so that really, I think, is the premise for it. The formalization of my practice really came from a place of working with senior executives and having them come to me and, and say to me, you know, can I work with you one-on-one? -on -one? I'm like, oh, yeah, work with me, right? This, we can formalize this. We can create a structure around this that actually fulfills me and supports them. So that's how I came to the practice. And how long ago did you, did you start off Dragonfly Coaching? So Dragonfly Coaching has been in existence for four years now. Four and a half years now. But you've been doing coaching a long time before that. Oh, decades. Yeah. <laughs> decades. <laughs> Even when you look at the work that I do at the center, it's, it's coaching on a macro and micro level. So we do it in front of the class and I do it one-on-one -on -one with the, the fellows in the program as they need it. Yeah. I'm curious, is there a, a story be behind the name Dragonfly Coaching? Absolutely. Uh, so for me... Dragonflies have always been a touchstone. Uh, they, they come to me when I am experiencing some change. And so when I decided to actually hang my shingle and was trying to figure out a name for the organization, all of a sudden this swarm of dragonflies came. And so I looked them up. What do they symbolize? And, and what I found out is it's really, they symbolize self-realization and self-discovery they symbolize agility um, in that they move in every single direction. They symbolize having a clear vision. 
They actually have eyes that can see 360 degrees. And because they have such a short lifespan, it's about living in the moment and really taking the, the most of each moment. And the last piece I'll share with you is different from the butterfly, which, you know, actually cocoons itself off from the world to make its transition. The, the uh, dragonfly goes through what's called emergence, where they come out of the pond and they hook themselves onto a branch on the side of the pond. And it may take three to seven iterations to become the dragonfly. And it's called emergence. So you think about what we do as human beings. We continue to evolve. So for all of those reasons, Dragonfly fits for me and for what I do with my clients. I think it's a great metaphor for what happens in the coaching sessions as well and in the coaching engagements from the beginning till the end. And I love the... It, it might take up to seven iterations before this becomes, you know, the, the finished product. And it's absolutely the same with it's coaching. So true. Yeah. I love that story. Thank you so Thank much for, for sharing with us. I, when I asked the question, I didn't imagine this was going to be such a wonderful story behind it. So I'm, I'm really going to remember that now when I see dragonflies and what they <laughs> symbolize and take it as a sign. <laughs> they are a sign for sure. So when you started uh, Dragonfly Coaching, obviously you were still employed as you are now. Mm-hmm. I want us to talk a little bit about um, how you negotiated with your employer, the start of the business, and maybe how you negotiated some flexibility in your work so that you can run the business at the same time. And also if we could touch on any conflict of interest, if there mm-hmm. were any, and how you dealt with those. So, yeah, I think the the biggest thing to note is as the director of a center at a state university, it is incredibly important for me to ensure that those lines are not crossed. Yeah. Um, That there's never any doubt about my uh, allegiance and alliance with how I use my time and energy. That said, one of the benefits of working in a university system for the state is that there is an expectation of a fixed amount of hours per week. Mm-hmm. So it is difficult for me as someone who has a tendency toward workaholicism <laughs> to, um, to constrain myself to those number of hours. Right? So, so my dedication of effort has never been in question. Now, bringing in a coaching practice I had to actually segment my time to be able to say, if I am coaching someone, I am taking vacation time so that it's clear and transparent to the world. If anyone were ever to look, Mm. this is time that I am using on my own to do something. This is time that I am getting paid by the university to do something. So I, I, my own ethical standards want it to be that clear uh, across the board. I think the last piece that you talked about is sort of how do you fit it all together? That's been the more difficult piece. I think for, for me, the wonderful piece of this is that what I do in the center and what I do one-on-one coaching is the same. In the center, I am helping leaders step into their leadership and I do it in groups. 
but we also have 800 alum. And many of those alum will come back and say, can you help me? I'm a little stuck. Mm -hmm. So when they come to me and say, can you help me? I'm a little stuck. They are coming to me as the director of the center. So I am coaching them under that umbrella. That is part and parcel of my work for the center. Um, and that is the way I've kept the conflict of interest out. Right? Mm. If they are someone who has, has joined me that way, that's the way they see me. That's what we're going to do. That's the work we're going to do together. Um, so the alignment has helped. I think the piece that I am learning is how do you integrate life in a way that is actually working for your benefit, for your goals. And you, you know, you and I have talked, I live on an Island. Um, it is summertime here. And so what I've started to do is I'll take a break between meetings. I will grab my son or my husband and we will go for a walk. So I have connection. I have the outdoor space and my work can get done in the evening. Yeah learning those paradigms that say, no, 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 I need to be at my desk. I need to be available. I need to be, I need to be to say, what's the life I'm trying to create mm. and, and how can I do that? How long did it take you to get to this point? Uh, you know, you started the business four and a half years ago, and now you are at this point where you can merge it all together, but I can imagine it wasn't maybe smooth sailing from the beginning. Would I be it, right in assuming that? <laughs> it was Absolutely not smooth sailing. Um, and the best things typically aren't, right? The mm. best things we, we typically experiment, learn, iterate, and improve. And for me, those iterations came from really watching and listening to others and then watching and listening to myself. So I think for the first year, I spent all of my time navigating what does it mean to actually start a business and how do I um, formalize this practice and what are all of the things that I need to put in place, the, you know, systems and processes and structures and how do, how do those experienced entrepreneurs do it? And then I took what worked for me from each of them and wove a new fabric that works for me. So many of them talk about time blocking, spend 30% of your time working in the business, spend 30% of your time working on the business, spend 30% of your time researching and, and product development. And I need it to be more fluid than that, right? There are times that I am totally entrenched in the business. There are times when I am totally inspired to do the research and writing. There are times when there is a groundswell of things to do to work on the business. Mm -hmm. So it's a little more fluid for me, but it has taken four years for me to recognize and appreciate and leverage that versus fighting against it because that's not what we see or how we see it being done or how we think it needs to be done. Yeah. I think that's very important to give yourself mm -hmm. permission to do it in a way that works for you, because there is so much advice out there and some of it is good and it works for some people, but it doesn't work for everyone. And to believe that that's the only way that it could be done and to try and force that onto yourself and your business and, and your circumstances is a mistake. Mm -hmm. And I also, um, love that you've been so honest 
to say, well, it's taken me, it's taken me four years to get to this point because I want people who are listening to this to, to manage their expectations in a way and know what, you know, what to expect if they are going to, uh, to start a coaching business as a, as a side gig, right? As something that they do whilst they are still employed. And for some people, it might take longer and others might find the balance a lot sooner, but it's the awareness that comes with it and the, um, the permission to, to simply wait and to allow it to come to fruition whenever that happens, not to force it and not to beat yourself up because of it. And I, I think, Alyssa, one of the things that I use with, with my clients a lot that has been helpful for me as well when I think about myself as the entrepreneur is micro-experiments. Right. Try something, see what you learned, revise, refine, and try again. Right. Nice. That's what I have been doing, but it takes that pause and reflection to actually recognize what it is you are um, experiencing. Right. So Absolutely. the frustration that I experienced from trying to time block, for example, right? I, I was... I was really trying to do that for, for a period of time. And for me, it felt so regimented and so structured. Um, and I know for a plethora of people, that is a huge benefit. Yeah. For me, it didn't work. Yeah. I include myself in that category. I time block and it works for me. It works. Yeah. And, exactly. and so go with that because it, it gives you energy. When you notice yourself being depleted from energy, stop and, and try and figure out why. Mm. What's going on for me? And what do I need to shift? And these can be micro shifts. What do I need to shift in order to, to regain my energy so that I have more to give to the things I want to do? And that's the whole point, isn't it? So going back to the micro experiments, I'm curious... How long do you allow yourself to do a micro experiment before you analyze it, maybe change it a little bit, try, try it some more and then decide, is this working for me or is it not? So I will give you the example of going for walks during the day and things like that. I will, I will put an experiment in place and I will actually do a bit of analysis each day. Mm -hmm. Right. So can I reflect on what happened today? Doesn't mean I'm going to change what I'm doing yet, nor does it mean that I'm going to say this experiment didn't work, but I want that observation. And then over the course of a couple of days, I may see a trend. And what's it's when I identify that trend that I make the decision, am I going to refine this experiment or am I going to alter the experiment altogether? Typically I will try a, an experiment in total for two weeks to four weeks. That usually gives me enough time to be able to learn what I need to learn and decide how I want to integrate or not what I've learned. Yeah. And this kind of experiment involves you doing something every single day. It depends, right? I mean, I, th I think in the case of breaking up my day and understanding that I own my calendar, I own my time. I am the one who establishes my priorities and timelines and deliverables, whether that be for the center or for the coaching practice has given me permission to look at time differently. 
Mm-hmm. And that is a day-to-day thing because I can have a day that is 8.30 in the morning till 8.30 at night. Or I can have a day that is two or three meetings and a whole bunch of free space to be creative. And that's wonderful, the flexibility that you can have, even whilst you're still employed, right? Because that's the case. And maybe for some people, they don't have the same flexibility in their job right yeah. now. And, you know, we're going to talk later about that. I uh, I have a, a question in mind, but for now, I don't want to leave the conversation and move into a different subject because I'm uh, I'm really curious. And I say I'm curious, like I was in this <laughs> in this exact place uh, just a a few years ago. But uh, for me, again, I didn't have that flexibility. It was only in the evenings and and that's why I had to be so regimented and and block my time. Lisa, what do you find to be the hardest thing about running a business whilst being employed? Uh, So I'll give you the, what do I think is the hardest thing about running a business? And then I'll layer on (laughs) while being employed. Uh, So for me, it is working on the business versus working in the business Mm -hmm. in the business is my sweet spot. That's where the magic happens on the business is, is new and nuanced for me. And so I am learning how to leverage people for whom that is their sweet spot, or I am learning how to leverage technology Mm -hmm. to, to ease the burden of being a business owner. Yeah. I think the complexity of having a full-time job, particularly a full-time job where I'm, I'm actually leading something that reports directly to a board, that reports directly to the university, so it's high visibility, high pressure, uh, it is about self-care. I think that's the, the toughest lesson I've had to learn while bringing both of these things together is that the the only person who is driving me as hard as I'm being driven is me. Mm-hmm. And why? Yeah. If, if I'm creating Dragonfly as a space where I have the ability to be flexible, to have this life that I want to live and to be able to demonstrate and role model for the people that I am coaching that it is possible, then I better well think about how what I'm doing and, and how I'm doing it. That's yeah. been a tough lesson to, to face. <laughs> And how, well, what did you do about it? Tell us more about how, how you managed to, um, to balance your work as an employee, your business, and also having a, a family and a personal life. I think actually it's the reverse order that I, that I finally learned. Yeah. Right. It's that I have a life and if my life is, is being attended to, I have more capacity for my family and friends, for my business, for my job. And, and that has been, again, really looking at um, and being very reflective about and honest with myself about what is and isn't working for me. To understand those priorities in the order in which you have yeah. listed them and act accordingly. A lot of people, when they start a business, whether they are employed or not, they they put that on as a first priority and they start to work so much on it. They don't really realize that all of the other things, including their lives, <laughs> need some attention and the people in their lives. And if, the, if you let that slip, 
Well, what's the point of having a successful business if you are not a, a happy person outside of your business, in your personal life? So I think that's super, super important. That's the question I always keep in front of myself. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this is to be able to have more flexibility and more quality time and more connection than running at this hair's pace doesn't accomplish that. So how do I be more thoughtful about what I'm trying to do and, and how and when? You know, I had a meeting yesterday with the chair and the vice chair of the center's board, and we talked about the strategic plan and the, the growth opportunities that we have set out. And the chair and the vice chair said to me, reminded me, that we're not even beginning to look at some of these things until 2023. Yeah. So stop, <laughs> right? You don't need, because we've talked about it, because we've agreed to it, because it's been approved, does not mean that we need to jump and start running as fast as we can. I think sometimes we know these things intellectually, but, but if someone else reminds us of them, that's even better. <laughs> and we need that reminder every once in a while. I think having accountability partners is one of the best things an entrepreneur can do. I met with one of my accountability partners earlier this week, and we talked about the fact that by the time we get together next week, next, no, sorry, next month, uh, we are going to lay out Q3 and Q4. Mm. What do we want to accomplish writ large, not just with the business, but with self-care, with family, with friends? And how do we hold each other accountable for that? So since you touched on that, and since your work is around helping people define what success means for themselves and helping them achieve it, um, share with us. What does success look like when it comes to your coaching business? What do you consider uh, a successful coaching business in the context in which you are now with, with your own circumstances? Okay. Uh, so for, for me, success for Dragonfly is that I am working with individuals who want to do the work, which is a very different paradigm when you are first starting off your business, when you're first starting off your business, there's that, that bit of fear that I have to take all comers, right? If someone comes to me and says that they want coaching, I need to say yes, because I don't know whether the next person is ever going to show up or not. Yeah. Uh, and what I have learned is that there are a certain group of people for whom I am the right coach. And it becomes a win-win experience. Um, and it gives me energy. That's what I want to do. Right? Do I have uh, financial targets? Of course. Do I have uh, aspirations for how I want to grow and evolve the business beyond one-to-one -one coaching? Absolutely. And those things are waiting while I still have a full-time job. And it's interesting, you did say it's a change of paradigm, and it is, because what you're saying is, for every person that I would accept, that's not the, the ideal person that I would like to work with, that is a missed opportunity for me to work with someone that I would, would love to work with. But I am letting go of that opportunity 
to instead work with anyone who knocks at my door because I'm afraid that no one else will want to. But you are kind of past that stage now. And I think that's very good advice for people who are only just starting off now. You don't have to work with everyone. And sometimes when you're first starting out, I know I learned a lot about who I wanted to work with from who I was working with. Right? <laughs> so being able to say, you know, I, mm, something about this engagement doesn't sit well with me, but I'm going to use it as an opportunity to learn and refine. Right? Not that I am um, being subversive with my client by any means, they are still going to get the absolute best of me that I have to offer. Of course. But I'm going to be paying attention to myself. Right? What about that engagement? Uh, do I look forward to appointments with that person when I see them on my calendar? Is it an engaging dialogue? Do I feel like they are walking off of the call, um, feeling like they've gotten what they need, feeling like they have a path forward? Or do I feel like it would, it took a lot of my energy to get through that call. So it's paying attention. And then you know, it, it is in and of itself, the micro experiment. How do you continue to refine? Um, I'm not one of those proponents of create your avatar of who you're looking for. Um, but I, I do believe that there are attributes that create alignment mm -hmm. that make it a good fit. Now that you've told us a little bit about how you balance everything and, you know, your view of what a successful business looks like for the purpose of an example, let's say, so that people can understand a little bit better. Could you share with us what an average working day in your life would look like? Sure. So there are certain tenants that are whole and true regardless of the day. Um, I, I begin my day with a 20 minute workout. I am a Buddhist. I spend 45 minutes in the morning and probably 15 minutes in the evening chanting, centering myself, really focusing on what it is I want to, um, what do I want to bring to the day? And then my day starts somewhere between nine and nine 30 in the morning. I would say I usually have somewhere between five and 10 meetings a day of those meetings, one or two, maybe coaching calls, uh, on a, on a typical day. And I wrap up my calls typically around five 30 dinner with my family. And then probably around seven 30 or eight, I will pick back up and just do some of the work on the business, whether the business is the center or coaching or both. Um, to, to stay on top of, of things. My weekends for the most part, I really hold dear for my family mm -hmm. and my friends and myself. Yeah. If I want to read a book, if I want to go to the beach for a couple of hours, I, I really try not to schedule the weekends. So those meetings, you said it can be up to 10 of them, which is <laughs> wow. <laughs> I assume that some of them might be quick 10 to 15 minute meetings. Um, it, it could be meeting with one of the interns in the center to help give them direction and clarity. Um, it could be a meeting with, you know, like I said yesterday, with my chair and vice chair of the board to clarify next steps and where we're headed for the next board year. Mm -hmm. um, 
So the, the, I think for me, the nice thing, and you heard this earlier when we talked about time blocking, I love variety. Mm -hmm. So for me, the neat thing is I can look at any day on my calendar and see so many different aspects of what I'm doing. Given that your day is so full and some of those meetings are also, um, you know, coaching meetings, Mm -hmm. Then you stop until half past seven and then you pick it back up. Is that when you would work to attract clients or do some marketing or promotion or networking or whatever it is? It could be, it could be writing a blog. Um, it could be writing up my notes from the client. If I didn't have time to do it during the day, it could be catching up on some of the emails from either of the businesses. It could be sending out invitations. Uh, for different events and things that I want to be involved in or responding to invitations to be on podcasts and things like that. <laughs> and um, how many clients can you accommodate at any one time? That's a great question. When I envisioned doing this business full time, I had said that I wanted to have 10 clients at any given time. I have been incredibly fortunate. I started the business four and a half years ago, uh, that for the past three years, I have been north of that number. Mm -hmm. Now I say fortunate because I've got a great clientele that I work with. Um, I am also, I have become clear in this past year that no new clients until clients wrap up. So yeah. I've actually reduced the number of clients that I'm working with because I've recognized the toll that trying to do two full-time jobs has been having on me. Right? So it's, it's a wonderful place to be in. And I think the awesome piece is I know so many great coaches. So when someone so comes to me refer and says, I'm ready and I want to work with, with you. And I say, my next opening is probably not for another three months but I know three people that I can recommend you to. And I feel comfortable making that recommendation. That's a wonderful place to be in, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a place of abundance and not fear. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I don't worry that if I give away that client, everything's going to dry up. I trust that I'm doing the right things and putting the right pieces in place that the business will continue. And it does because those people that you have referred business to will now look out for you as well and refer someone to you if they can't take it on or it's not a great fit. Yeah. And that's the other, that's the other wonderful thing about it, even in the engagement calls, even in the discovery calls is being able to say to someone, you're interviewing me as well as I'm interviewing you. And if I'm not the right fit for you and you want to do the work, I'm going to help you find the right fit. Yeah. That's what it's, it's about. It's a very different conversation. Yeah. Because the cent the center of the conversation is how can we help you move forward one way or another, whether it's with me or with someone else. And you're right. It, it has to come from a place of abundance for you to be able to do that and to have that attitude. Yeah. So it's been a big shift. it is, it's a, it's a huge shift and Sadly, some people never make that shift, <laughs> but uh, hopefully everyone who is listening to this 
is considering making that shift because it creates such a community around you of colleagues that you respect and you give business to and they do the same with you. And even if they don't, maybe they don't have enough inquiries to send you business, they will be grateful and they will um, they will treat you like a colleague that they appreciate no mm -hmm. matter what. And you treat them the same given that you're sending them business. But uh, maybe, you know, this is a topic for a different conversation is um, you have to also be sure that you have vetted those people and you trust them enough that they do good work. And that also comes from creating these relationships beforehand and getting to trust someone and to know them. So that's very important. Absolutely. So Lisa, for, for, People who are listening right now and they're thinking of starting a coaching business alongside their job, what advice would you have for them? What would be the first few things that they need to do or that they need to have in place before they do that? So a few things that I, I that come to top of mind for me. First, I would get clear about why. Why do you want to coach? What is it that is special or unique or your secret sauce or what I call your superpowers when it comes to coaching? What do you bring to bear for the people that have, that you have the privilege of working with? So that's one piece and that's really around your purpose. Um, the second piece is to really ensure that those people who are around you, your family, your close friends, understand what you want to do and why and support you in doing it mm -hmm. because that can be a derailer, right? Particularly Absolutely. if you've got the, I've got a nine to five job and, and so I'm going to work my nine to five job and then I'm going to work my seven to 10 building my practice. Um, you've got to have support. And then I, I spend a little bit of time thinking about what am I building and how will I get there? And I will tell you, I didn't do that in my first six or seven months of, of having the practice. I didn't do that. And it was very frenetic. Mm -hmm. So taking that time will also allow you to pace yourself. What is reasonable to do in what period of time? Two last things are number one, celebrate your successes. I don't care how small they are, celebrate them. Celebrate getting your um, business banking account set up. Celebrate getting your LLC established. Celebrate those things. And the last thing is please put self care front and center. If you wear yourself out, you are no good to anyone or anything. Put your oxygen mask on first before you try and help or build something else. I think those are my lessons learned that I would share with you. And I completely agree. Those things were also things that I had to put in place. And like you say, I, I haven't done it from the beginning. I had to learn it the, the hard way. And, you know, I'm afraid that as much as we share these things, there's still an element of people have to experience the opposite of it before they can internalize how important they are and start putting them 
um, into place in, in their own businesses. But that is absolutely what I would advise people to do if they were to um, start their business alongside some practical things like, oh yeah, get some insurance and make sure that you protect <laughs> yourself and uh, always have contracts in place and things like that. But from a, from a personal perspective, from a mindset perspective, um, those are the things that I would say are the most important ones for sure. Mm. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for for sharing your life with us, essentially, <laughs> uh, today. It's been a pleasure. And I'm curious now, because you've kind of mentioned um, here and there, maybe hinting about what your plans are for the future. What's next for you and uh, Dragonfly Coaching? So there are two phases of what's next for me. Uh, the first phase is really building a online program mm. where folks who, um, for whatever reason are either not ready, don't need one-on-one -on -one coaching, but are beyond the DIY stage. It gives them a space to be able to do the work and do it in community. Yeah. Uh, so that is on the horizon for me. And, and then there is a, a I always say this aloud and say, why did I say this aloud? Why didn't I just keep that thought? Uh, there is a book that will be coming. <laughs> okay. When I first announced the book that I'm writing, I thought, why did I do that? Why didn't yes. I just keep it to myself? Now I have to do it. <laughs> I think that's why I keep saying it. Because if I say it often enough, someone's going to come back and go, you've been talking about a book for like three years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> the title. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess it's uh, it's the power of accountability that we were talking about earlier, isn't it? Well, that sounds wonderful. And uh, yes, I'll make sure to leave links in the uh, show notes for people to, to find out about the, the new program that's coming up, the book when that eventually happens, and for them to get in touch with you if they want to learn more. But uh, it's been wonderful having you as a guest. Thank you so much for coming and best of luck with everything and all the plans for Dragonfly Coaching. Thank you very much for inviting me and thank you for what you are doing in the world. So important. Thank you. You just finished listening to an episode of the Coaching for a Living podcast. Did you know that you can send me an audio message directly? check out the show notes for a link that allows you to do that. You can use it to send in a question you have about building a coaching business or to simply share your impressions about the podcast and any suggestions for what content you'd like me to cover in the future. I cannot wait to hear from you. Again, check out the show notes for the link and who knows, maybe I'll feature your message in a future episode. All right, that's it for today. I'm Alisa Barkan and I'll catch you next time.